Make sure to stick around and listen for Anthony's State High School Hockey Tournament trivia question for your chance to win a $25 gift card for Most Tavern in Blaine. Welcome back to the Worst Seat in the House. Michael Russo and Anthony Panta coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio on location here at Tuttle's on a beautiful Monday night. Our next live show is at Split Rocks on February 27th. February 27th. So come on out to Split Rocks. We've had uh, some huge crowds there uh, lately, and we got a ballroom and everything. And Anthony, as I said on the last podcast, it's always what a difference a week makes with this show. It's what a difference like five, six days makes. Uh, on this podcast, uh, here we go. Two in a row, and all's fine with the world, and just as, like I said on last podcast. As I said on last week's podcast, for one of us, it stays the same all the time. For the other one, it's last week it was time to fire everybody, trade everybody, move the team to Houston. This week, it's buy your playoff tickets, make sure you don't have any plans in April and May, because we're going to make a deep run now. We've got two in a row. I don't think that Houston would be my choice where the Wild would move. I'm thinking maybe like Quebec, Sicily. Um, good. Uh, yeah, no, not Quebec. Got to be like a really fun, cool place. Place like Cabo or Cancun, Cabo sure. Wild. But it was just it, it was time to blow things up and make changes, get rid of people. And what has happened since? It won Brought in Adam so Beckman, and uh, things have tickets. changed well. The good news is that Marcus Foligno actually is, uh, you know, the latest on him is that he, uh, Chris O'Hearn on the radio this week, uh, this today, and um, he said the hope is that O'Hearn, that uh, that Foligno could be back this weekend. And if that's the case, then they'll get the full allotment of players together. And it's just going to be, you know, one thing that's really interesting after watching last night's game is how good um, Goudreau, Greenway, and Duhame played last night. And you, Beckman's obviously looked good with Erickson and Boldy. So when Felino comes back, you just almost slide him right into that spot. Like if the Wild, I'm saying if the Wild, um, you know, have a couple good games in a row here. Obviously, as we just talked about, things change mightily often with this team. Um, but uh, man, uh, if Felino can come back, do you just put him right in that spot? Maybe I, I think it depends on matchups. But I, I really do think the. The Gaudreau and Greenway line was really good defensively the other day against a good line too. They had a they drew the toughest matchup in that game against Nashville and and did a pretty good job against them. And it was it was good to see Greenway be involved. I thought Duhame's game was terrific from the start and just got better and better as the day progressed. And once he scored, it felt like he could have scored three more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hartman playing well. Obviously, scored the winning goal there. Um, again, Kaprizov looking like uh, he just wants to will this team to win every single shift, let alone every single game. And, you know, it was interesting talking to him after the game uh, yesterday, Anthony, is, is, you know, he was not, you know, I don't want to say not happy. He was happy with the win, but he made it extremely clear, which I think shows you that his excellence level on where this team needs to be compared to where it is, is he said, we have to figure out a way to finish games, finish games cleanly. 
And, you know, it's true. I mean, the Wild up 3-1 had a chance to put the hammer down on that team, just squeeze the neck of them. And they come out with two just, like, I mean, one of the two of the worst power plays I've ever seen. Like, Zuccarello just throwing pucks out of the zone left and right. Um, it just it almost was, felt like they got to that point and just said, this is just four minutes. Yeah. Let's just eliminate that's four not minutes the way the that's not the way a good team should play. No, but I do think prior to that, I do think their game was great. I thought when they were up two zero, they kept coming, kept playing. It could have easily been four or five zero, if not for Saros making a couple terrific saves. Niederreiter made one big stop to himself defensively. I thought they had played well enough to be in front by four or five goals. It's just a, it's a team that's snake bitten and maybe it's a game like that one that gets a couple guys off the schneid and, and now all of a sudden they start feeling better about themselves. I think the Hartman goal is a great example. And yes, he's had two goals going off his sternum lately, but the reality is in both of those spots, they had had great pressure. They had had the puck in the zone on the forecheck for extended periods before that. And then he's in the right place to make those things be possible. It's, it's a lot more than just some good fortune in those cases. Yeah, that to me was the key. Actually, really, the last three or four games is that the Wilders are starting to look a lot more like themselves. They're going to the net. And when you go to the net, you know, you get those those fortuitous bounces. We saw it with the Duhame one going off his hip, and then obviously Hartman last night. On that goal, Jarrett Spurgeon uh, breaks Ryan Suter's team record for points by a defenseman with 370. And what a way to do it, all right? I mean, he saves the zone right. after giving the team a little pep talk at the bench saying, hey, there's time still to get one more chance. We're not going to overtime. And, uh, and then he saves the zone, and, and next thing you know, he gives it over to his buddy uh, uh, Brodine, and boom. Yeah, and that part was the part that I thought was most significant. The fact that he got to the puck at the line, there's some other defensemen that get to that puck. But most of them figure there's 12 seconds left. Just, just throw dump it, it down low. Let's go to overtime. Yeah. And he had the presence, the calmness, the wherewithal to say, we got time to make a play here, held the puck for a second, and then makes the play that leads to the goal to win it. I, I just think his game has been so good. He's been so sharp. He's been on top of his game since about the first week of the season. Absolutely. It's, it's been incredible to watch. And Brodeen, who had a very slow start to the season, has been just unbelievable the last three months. I mean, it really just, uh, just outstanding. You know who's playing well, actually, lately is Dumba. I mean, the, I was talking to Billy Guerin about him the other day, and he's really happy with the way that he's playing um, right now. So, I mean, obviously, with, with all defensemen, you're going to get the odd mistake and the turnover and things like that. But if you, it's hard to really look at um, Matt's game lately other than the penalties and say, hey, he's playing poorly. Yeah, I don't think he's played poorly. I just, he's been Dumba, where there'll be a half a dozen plays during the game where he'll just seemingly panic with the puck the opposite of what we were just talking about with Spurgeon and just I've got it on my stick I don't see something right away so I'm just going to launch it up in the air out to neutral ice and basically sit back and defend again but at the same time he then brings some energy and makes some energetic plays I thought he had a big key hit in that game that got things going when the team was struggling a little bit I thought he bailed himself out a couple times he had two turnovers in his own zone where then he made the big play defensively yeah. to yeah, say I know one that you're talking about the one where he had the block shot out of the corner yeah. when he gave the puck away and so he's 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 going to make more mistakes but he's also going to bring some energy and make some plays and I I think he's just been who he is lately and and maybe if he eliminates a couple of those mistakes tonight then you got something and look he's 
he's survived and he's he's been here and been as productive as he's been due in large part to the guy who's playing next to him and as long as that continues it doesn't really matter as long as if you're if you've got a partner who's able to help you out in those spots you can feel free to make take some chances i know that you just mentioned it uh, when we were talking about the the Gujar line but uh greenway um you know really was as as good as we've seen in a long time last game i mean one one you know going to the net uh he had a couple huge back checks that he really disrupted plays um and it just feels like he's maybe um took the message from Bill Guerin that he admitted the other day was a kick of the butt about a week and a half ago and has tried to change his game and bring more of a consistent um, effort on an every game basis. Yeah, he's been better. He still hasn't looked like the same player we saw at any point last year yet to me. Last year, he made so many plays where he'd make a play with his reach on a back check. He'd disrupt something. He'd make more physical plays. He's never been and is unlikely to ever be a significant goal scorer but we just haven't seen him impact games like he did last year and what is it now he's gone 17 games i think without a point and you can live with that if you're impacting the game in other ways and that's what we saw last year and then the points started to come and this year it just it hasn't been there on a night in night out basis and i'm sure everybody handles the pressure and the the confusion, the wondering, the waiting, am I going to get traded, am I not, is it going to happen now, is it going to happen in the summer, that affects guys differently. And with him, I think it's affected him maybe even more than he's let on. He, he just he looks like he, kind of a lost soul when he's around the hallway, around the room, around the bus, around the plane. He just doesn't, last year he had a kind of a larger-than-life personality, and this year it's been a little different. It might be his struggles on the ice. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think so, but I also think it's the wearing on him that if I don't start doing more, I'm likely yeah, to be moved. 100%. And I, I think you're seeing that bleed over into his game. Yeah, as I always say, you could do the math, and all you have to do is cap-friendly and figure out the wild and this summer needs to shed $3 million bucks at least. And, uh, you know, who makes $3 million? Um, the, uh what was I going to say on that that subject? Um, you know, but to your point about just how that might have to do with what you're apparently seeing away from the rink. I mean, I think it's the same thing with guys like Felino, right? Felino is a big personality. He likes to talk when when he likes to hold guys accountable. He likes to bring energy and speeches in the locker room and things like that. And I just think when you're not playing well, it's hard to have that same voice. And I think that's a lot of times, you know, the the double edged sword of a losing streak is it 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 forces guys to sometimes button up when you need them to be vocal a lot more. And so if you're struggling and you feel like your game is nowhere near its A game, it's hard to stand up in the locker room and tell any, somebody else to bring it. And I think that we're, we've seen that lately. And that's why I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that Felino comes back and, you know, is almost refreshed with this little reset that he's going to get. Could be. And it's, we've always talked about how tough it is to lead when you're not on top of your game. There's no question about that. And I, Felino's still been a leader with this team, but he hasn't, kind of the same thing we we're just talking about with Greenway. He just hasn't looked the, like the same player that we saw throughout last season. And I do think there's a part of it that is a, there's a factor involved that is the entire roster where what they lost from last season to this has had a trickle down effect on a lot of the lines, whether it be matchups, 
how much time is needed for these guys, how much they're playing, what roles they're playing. I think all of that's a factor. But And the truth is there was probably likely to be some regression when you have that many guys have career best years. Felino might not be a 25-goal scorer, but he's more than a four-goal scorer. Is there a good time in a game to do the wave? No. Is, would you do the wave with three minutes left after your goalie just gave up the softest goal he's given up in two months? Well, are you asking me would I participate or would I start it? Either. I don't think I would do either. I know I wouldn't start it, ever, no matter what the situation is. Like, I don't know why this was such a controversial thing that I said on the on thing today. Uh, like, I said it last night, and we know that jinxes are real and that karma is an actual thing. And... I don't know. I believe in how karma. the hell, but jinxes are. I, I just don't understand. Like this is such an educated fan base. Why you would start the wave with three minutes left after your goalie just gave up a soft goal and you're clinging to life? You haven't had a regulation win in 13 games. There's a reason why ushers don't let you stand up and walk around during action. It's so there's not a freaking wave in front of the goalie's eyes during the lower bowl in a one goal game and a must win. Like I, I just don't get that. All right, anybody have any questions? Um, <laughs> five, first five people to ask questions get a uh, T-shirt. And if you are the person that started the wave, you're not getting a yeah, T-shirt. Don't ask a question then. Yeah. But it, remember that the, the team might not have been sensing that they were clinging to life like their Well, the fans was. certainly weren't. No, the beat writer might have been clinging to life. No. They needed to win that game. They didn't need the wave. Do the wave yeah. in the upper bowl, man. Well, we've got a, we're going to have a little bit of a, a delay here, so why don't you stretch for a minute while Brandon plugs in the microphone for our question. <laughs> this is where you get the signal, like, just stretch, stretch, uh, which I never get, by the way. Oh, when yeah, you I gave join you the wrong us, signal. When you join us on Valley Sports North, they never say stretch. No. Well, last night, though, let's be honest, that you would admit that on the second segment, when I didn't get to the third question, it was because that there were some technical difficulties that I didn't know how to get the attention of our illustrious stage manager. Well, there, there are like seven monitors. Six of them had what was going no, over there, the No, the one air. right in front of me had nothing. That's the only one that didn't. The other the six The one that I needed. Well, that's what you, well, I'm not going to look behind me. Why not? Yeah, what? I'm on live on the camera. No, that... See, these are their program monitors. What's on them is what's going over the air. So when a graphic is on the screen, they wouldn't see you looking the other direction. Well, he, I didn't know that if I was on camera or that, because... There's there was... a red light up on top of the camera. Right. When it's on, then you're on. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Sorry, Father. We'll have a, I'm going to... Yep. So... Father Jingdahl's here. Who's a, he's once come to my house and blessed my house, so I feel like you have one free cuss word, and you just used it. Now Do you're you done. understand what it's like to be friends with him? I mean, truly. He like, came, like, know, he did. My, my heart rate right now is about 250. And, and it's it's not just because I'm pissed about the wave. It's this. I'll make you a little cheat sheet of what happens on the TV side. Yeah. Red lights, program monitors, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Next. <laughs> First question. Last year, what did Eric Stahl do? Did he want to play, but he couldn't find a team? Was yeah. he contemplating retiring, but had the itch and came back? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you all remember, you above. Yeah, he went to the Stanley Cup final with the Montreal Canadiens, and I think he was shocked that he didn't get a job as a free agent. And then eventually he was wanted to go play in the Olympics for Team Canada, and so uh, Billy Guerin did him a favor, and they he put him in Iowa for three or four games. 
Then he played in the Olympics, was hoping after the Olympics, the trade deadline was coming up, you could sign a UFA up until the trade deadline, and that never came into fruition. If you remember one year, the Wild actually signed Ryan Carter uh, right before the trade deadline um, and put him in Iowa. He was wound up not being called up, but, but that is allowed, and so nobody signed him then. So this summer, uh, he again made it known that he wasn't going to retire. Um, he went down as a, on a pro tryout to Florida. They couldn't afford him at the time. They couldn't even add a $750,000 player at the time. So they sent him home with the, with the, the instruction, stay in shape, and we're going to make a move to get you up here. And they did make a move, and they signed him. So that's and he's been great for them. Yeah. They, he's been really good. He's killing penalties for them. They're using him in roles that Minnesota never used him. And he can still score. He scored today, in fact, I believe. I think he and his brother both scored today for Florida. Wow. Um, and uh, so he was here last week, actually. He hosted a Super Bowl party um, at his house for the entire team. And, uh, and uh, we did a notebook on this today. He also has made it very clear that he's going to retire here, which we've all known. But I think you know, what his hope is is that he'll eventually work for the Wild in some sort of capacity. Or you know, who knows? Maybe he'll be on the uh, panel on Valleys. Question. Yeah, so I uh, recently viewed uh, Scott Wheeler's article about the number one prospect ranking of the Minnesota Wild. And I noticed that with his top 50, that we kind of have uh, lesser skaters than the people behind us. And so I'm curious, just how much is he viewed across the league as Jesper Wallstad? Is he not just an all-star, but do people view him as a maybe future Vesna candidate or like franchise saver, kind of like a Vasilevsky or a Shesterkin? Yeah, I think Wallstad's the big reason why the Wild finished number one in the pool, because they have an incredible amount of depth at the prospects. But I look at it as they don't have like that true superstar or high-end skater that we know of now. Now, maybe... Maybe Rossi becomes that. Maybe Huzanzinov becomes that. Maybe Yurov. Maybe Ogren. Um, they have a ton of depth at D. They have a ton of depth at forward, but not not like that guy that you're going to look at and say he's going to be, you know, an absolute star. But I think Wallstadt's, um, you know, um, presence in the organization and the fact that so many believe that he is going to be a future star um, put catapulted the Wild to the top of the ranking. So. Um, I do think that's one reason why Bill Guerin doesn't want to, and we're going to talk more here about the uh, the trade deadline in a couple seconds, because I want to bring up some potential ads that they could make. But I think that's one reason why he is resistant to give up still a first round pick or or a lot of his top top prospects is because I think that he even looks at it as like, all right, we got a lot of depth, but right now we don't know, especially what the European prospects are going to be until they get here. Ogren, Huzadinov, Yurov, Mary. Okay, this question is from Hockey Mom Jody. You know, yep. Jody from Hockey Moms Aren't Crazy. Mm -hmm. She'd like to know if Granlin uh, becomes available. All right, there's no <laughs> chance that she asked this question. I got it right here. But, yeah, uh, but she's asking a question that you wanted to ask. <laughs> Any chance he comes back here? I think I know the answer. I think that. he would help, but I doubt it, right? I can't imagine yeah. that he'd be the guy. I think I do, anybody I do would think help. he could help. Yeah. Uh, and. I've always been a fan of his game, and it was, it was pretty typical when we saw him yesterday. Just it's the way he plays. Yeah, and uh, uh, but I don't think he's the right fit here. Yeah, I I would concur. Um, and I you know more importantly, it doesn't matter what we think. It's you know what the organization thinks, and they've they've had the ability to bring him back, and they haven't. So I always look at that too. Don't you think like? People always ask, like, you know, are they going to go get Monahan? Are they going to go get? Um, there was somebody else. Somebody asked me about the other day, um, Domi, 
And I think sometimes you don't need to really have a lot of knowledge. You just know that the Wild have had ample opportunities to get these guys in the past and haven't even tried. So why would they get them now unless unless Bill just thinks they the cost is right and and it's just the perfect yeah, and fit. I, and sometimes know? that changes too as things start to fall down the the domino effect. If this guy went here, now all of yep. a sudden the price for these guys changes, who's left changes, the type of player that's available changes, and maybe you develop a, your, a different kind of need within your own team. But I just I can't imagine that they would look at Mikhail Granlund as the guy that is a difference maker in this lineup. I think their lineup's better if he's in it, but not uh, to the significant level where you'd give something up. And, to make one, that and one other point to that is that when we've seen Mikhail Granlund play great in the Minnesota Wild uniform, it's as a wing, and I would think that they'd want to, you know, need a center maybe at that point. Uh, and I don't know if the Wild would be looking for a center. Question. So as Beckman, I think, is the sixth leading scorer on the Iowa Wild, I'm curious why he's up here over like a Walker. Yeah, well, Walker's been in a, in a skid down there. I think that they felt like need, you know, left big left wing, brings energy, um, things like that. Um, I will say, and, and, you know, Anthony gets a lot more alone time with Dean than, than I do. Um, but I've read between the lines whenever Dean talks about Walker that there has been some defensive deficiencies or system things that the coaches have not been ex excited with. And so I think they probably feel that maybe pro ready Adam was ready to just step into a very, you know, stressful situation, the way this team was going. Yeah, to be, a little bit of that. Plus he was playing great. Yes. Yeah, so he had four goals in two games, four goals in two games. He had 10, 10 goals, two assists in his last 15 down there was like a plus 12 player over the stretch. 60 shots over that stretch so yeah. he was he was on top of his game they've always said they try to reward the guy who's playing the best right now but i also think that the the other thing i wanted to say about beckman is just there were a lot of questions about why they haven't recalled marco rossi and you've got an offense that's stagnant why wouldn't you call him back up here he's been good down there and i think when you look at what beckman has done in these couple games is exactly why they didn't Beckman, I thought his game was good. He was he played he was fast, he brought energy, he did everything they wanted him to do, but he didn't score. And when it's Adam Beckman, nobody worries about it. He has he's got what one point in 11 games in his career. And if Marco Rossi came up here and played two games and didn't score, he could have done everything else exactly the same and everybody would have been saying he's still not ready. He still hasn't scored. And I just I think with a guy like Beckman and maybe with Walker, there's just the expectations and the the burden of that is so much lower that they feel like right now for a short-term fit, let's just put one of these guys in there. Yeah, whether you believe agree with it or not, that is definitely the rationale, 100%, of, of why they chose. We're approaching tournament time in the state of Minnesota. The girls' state tournament about to get started. The boys' sectionals seedings are in. Those tournaments get started. So it's another edition of our state tournament trivia. Last week, our winner was Alfred Walker. He knew the last time there were back-to-back -back state championship games that did not include a late conference team. So this week's question will be, among the big school teams, there are two that are currently tied for the longest active run of streaks reaching the state tournament in St. Paul. If you know the answer to that, go to talknorth.com slash contest. You'll fill out a form and submit your answer. The winner gets a $25 gift certificate to Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena. 
Again, that's talknorth.com slash contest. And as we head into the tournament, why not go to Moe's to watch the games? Moe's is a great spot. Moe's, it's inside Fogarty Arena up in Blaine. Terrific menu, and I know that they've expanded their pizza menu recently. It's a great place to watch a game. Go check it out. Terrific menu. They've got great sandwiches, great burgers, and check out their flatbread pizzas. They're outstanding. You won't be disappointed. Don't let the warm weather lately fool you. We still have a long winter ahead of us here in Minnesota, and if you're like me and like your home to stay warm and comfy all winter long, get a company you could trust. Aquarius Home Services has a team and knowledge to keep your home warm and cozy through the cold winter months. If you're having concerns with your furnace and are thinking about a replacement, my friends over at Aquarius offer free in-home estimates, and for a limited time, they are offering a new furnace for as low as $55 per month. That's right, $55 a month. Their 100% performance guarantee is backed by the best material, product, and labor warranties in the business. I use them. You should, too. Contact Aquarius today for your free in-home estimate. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Make the switch to a Royal checking account and you'll also get real-time transaction alerts, free mobile check deposits, and surcharge-free access to over 40,000 ATMs across the U.S. Enjoy financial freedom with no minimum balance and no monthly fees when you switch to Royal's smart checking account. Learn more and open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Oh no, Ken, you're going to be number six. And Brandon has already made it very clear. I don't need a five. I don't need a t-shirt. He's he's cracking down after last week. We we had an anarchy situation where people, everybody got a shirt. There's so many people in Wyoming, Minnesota right now wearing the Russo uh, uh, LaPanta shirt. So obviously, Gustafson has been a godsend for this team. Uh, He seems calm in the net. He seems to know what he's doing. Even when he makes a mistake, it seems like he can recover pretty easily. What do you think it would cost to get him back? What term would you like to see him back Getting on? more expensive. Um, you know, I wanted to ask uh, Chris O'Hearn that on the radio today, but I also wanted to respect the fact that I didn't want to trap him into something that he would regret saying. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, when they did the comparables a month and a half ago, they were hoping he'd be in the one eight one nine range, and now I got, he's got to be up there in the two eight. I mean, it's it's a tricky comparable because this is somebody that had basically less than what thirty five games of NHL experience before he got here, um, and he's come in and he's just been outstanding. Um, they're still going to need both goalies, but it is it is interesting that they don't have a ton of back to backs the rest of the way. And March is a pretty light schedule unless it gets suddenly more condensed because the Wild can't get out of here for road trip, um, but. <laughs> You know, it's going to be interesting. What, what do you think they do tomorrow? Do you think you play Flower tomorrow just to give them a game before the back-to-backs? You know, and yeah. it is, I mean, let's, you know, if there was ever a time to throw Flower back in, it probably would be a game where Gustafson gave up three and was, yeah, gave up I was just going to say, if that game would have finished three to one the other night, it's probably Gus. Then it's probably Gus yeah. again. But I think now that it was four, three, it'll go to Flower and, and then they'll each play one of the back-to-backs. That would, it's just a guess. I haven't asked Dean about it yet, but. I really think, and I this was this is conjecture on my part, but I felt like for a long time they were really trying to shield Gus early in the year. Whenever you'd look at the week schedule, Flurry got the more difficult assignment, Gus got the lighter load, and it was Gus got the game where it was the other team was tired, the Wild were fresh, those kind of things. And I, I think they were doing it for a couple of reasons. One was to try to build his confidence, 
But I always, in the back of my mind, had this that it wouldn't shock me if they were trying to build his value up in case they had an opportunity to make that deal a deal with him either during or after the season so that next year you're ready to go to a Flurry and Wallstead combo of some kind. But now I think the way he's played, I think it's totally different. Now I think they're, I think they truly are in a mode of whoever we think gives us the best chance to win tonight is the guy we're going to play. And, and Gus has demanded more time and he's earned it. Kenny. All right. One question, two comments. Counselor, I should say. Counselor. So the question, which you kind of already answered, is, you know, we all knew that Hartman and Felino wouldn't, you know, redo the monster unusual year. But the drop is so stark. Yeah. You know, what what is the reason for the the stark drop in their production? I mean, I it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard. It'd be total spe- speculation. But I definitely do think part of it is Kevin not being here. I think when you have a secondary scoring line, it freed up a lot of offense for a lot of guys. And obviously, Ryan got off to a real tough start. He got hurt. Um, he's had trouble getting, I mean, he's beat up just looking at him every day. Um, but I just think this team is so much easier to check right now because they don't have that, you know, and it creates this trickle-down effect. And as Anthony said on, I think, last week's podcast, it's not just, we all knew that taking 85 out of, points out of the lineup without replacing it was going to create a dip in their even-strength scoring. But I don't think any of us realized that just what having that secondary scoring did for the rest of the lineup, and most notably the grief line, right? Because that line is the one that's really, regardless of, of Hartman, at even strength, um, that line has had an unbelievable dip, and including Eric Sinek. I mean, Eric Sinek, 11 of his 21 goals were on the power play. Yeah, and the last year they ended so many shifts in the offensive zone, yeah. the grief line with a great four-check shift and whether it was an icing or just a whistle, where now all of a sudden against tired defenders, you got two different scoring lines that were getting those offensive zone starts. Those starts are way down for those guys, and, and I do. I do th- I think it's just a, those guys are getting worn out facing the best every single shift, every single night, because they don't have to worry about any other line that strikes fear in them. So my two comments, I hate to give you kudos, Anthony, but... Oh. Man. But, Just don't then. But, well, I have to. <laughs> On the last podcast, you said something I totally agree with, which is it drives me nuts when you hit, have a beautiful open ice hit and somebody skates across the ice for a fight and you get two fives right. for each player. Yep. That is absolutely ridiculous. That is absolutely the definition of an instigator. And we've been watching it all year. It's, it's, one in San Jose crazy. is still the most egregious. Oh, no, that's unbelievable. So yeah. my second comment is uh, mainly to you, Michael, but I'm shocked. How in the world did we get three power play goals in three games without Addison on the line? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. You've been all over Twitter on it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, to, your, to your other point, I, I do think that that's part of the reason why Hartman got the instigator the other day is, um, you know, I was in the situation room January 7th to watch that game. And the one thing that I noticed in there that I'm going to be writing two huge stories about here in the coming weeks um, heading into almost like an, a, an, a GM's meetings advance because I'm heading down to the GM's meetings mid-March, is the league is clipping two things right now, the, the situation room to present to the, um, to, the, to the GMs. And one is goalies intentionally knocking the posts off the moorings, and the other are how fights start. And they, want, they are clipping how, they're clipping every single fight to give them a percentage of how many fights are starting based off a clean hit and how it needs to stop. Now, one way to stop it is the referees to call the rules, to actually just 
apply the rule book and use the instigator. And I do get the impression, actually, I shouldn't say impression. I know this to be true because I've talked to, for this other story that I'm working on uh, for The Athletic in the next couple of weeks, I talked to a bunch of NHL refs and former refs in the last couple of weeks, and I know that they've been giving an edict to start calling the instigator more. So I think that was probably, in my mind, a little bit of an overreaction by the rest. But def- rule book, he probably right. instigated. But that's what I've been yeah. saying all year is that if that's the case, if officials are reluctant, and I've heard an official's explanation to a coach this year that was, I didn't think what he did was worth 17, meaning 17 minutes, the 2, 5, and 10 for the instigator, the fight, and the 10-minute misconduct. Well, if that's the way officials are thinking about this, then you got to change the rule. Because yeah. if they're unwilling to call it and say, I'm going to make that guy sit for 17 for that, and I'm not willing to do it. Well, then you're not enforcing the rule. And I just I think that's where this year has slipped in terms of the officiating in this league, where I think there's just a lot of guys trying to overthink it that way. We had an explanation of a call that I, I, I'm not going to quote the coach that shared it with me, but it was the guy came over and said, I thought it was a one-minute penalty. And said, well, what's a one-minute penalty? He tripped him. And he said, well, it was unintentional. I thought it was a one-minute penalty. Well, it doesn't matter, unintentional or intentional. If you put your stick underneath a guy's skate and he trips and falls, it's a trip. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter if a team's on the power play. It's a trip. A trip is a trip. And it doesn't. there's no egregious yeah. level that you decide whether or not to call it. So I, I think a, we've just had officials that have lost sight of if they just call the rule, yeah. and call it by the rule book, then the discussions, the frustrations, and the arguments diminish quickly. I had a great, I wish I could almost play everybody the tape, um, but I, I had a great like hour-long interview the other day with Kerry Frazier for that story that I was talking about. And uh, it was just fascinating. The, the story was on a specific topic, but it was, it was fascinating just listening to him talk about officiating and the way that you apply the rule book and the way that you control a game and things like that. And, and, um, you know, again, I wish I don't want to like, uh, um, you know, uh, give everything away, but I almost wish I could play the tape for you because it is fascinating. And when you hear it from a referee's perspective on why sometimes you actually stare at a play, that's an obvious penalty and don't call it. I know this doesn't make sense in the context that I'm saying it, but it almost makes sense from his point of view, why it's not called in that certain situation. And the way that these guys try to get the game played, those are veteran refs. It was a different era. He worked in a one and a two referee system. But it's, you know, a lot of times, it's funny. I got off the phone call and I felt like I had a much more appreciation of the way that games are called instead of us just always looking at a, you know, from the press box and saying, well, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. That's a missed call. That's a missed call. It makes sense. Dave Jackson was telling me the other day for this story. Um, you know, just when, when we, it's not going to be in the story, but he was saying that even just right now, after not, after watching games as ESPN's analyst analyst for the last two years from afar, that he feels that right now he could step on the ice and have a much better ability to do the job just from watching games again. And, and, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's fascinating. So, um, and I know that a lot of times I get a rap, especially from out of town people that I'm like this Homer and always you know, rip on the refs and things like that. I actually have really good relationships with most referees in the league. Just actually was texting with one that I happen to name drop on, on the fan today. Um, that, uh, you know, that, that you, you get to know these guys because as beat writers, we stay at the same hotels with them. We have breakfast with them almost every morning in the concierge lounges. And, and so you get to know them. So, you know, but it's almost like the same thing as a player where you have a relationship with this player. 
and yet you still have to critique them even if you know them, and that's the way that the job works. Back up to a little bit, just to say that as we've talked for years on this show and elsewhere, they really are trying to get it right. And as many times as they may miss a call or as many times as we may disagree with their interpretation of the rule or willingness to enforce it, I do believe that by and large, they all feel badly when they go back and watch the film and think they missed a call. And the league does, they watch everyone, and you're talking about the fact that they're clipping We've clipping every fight. They clip every penalty and every even potential penalty so that they can go back and look at it and say, should this have been a call that was or should this have been one we let go? And when they have their meetings, they'll show them. And we were talking with, or we had uh, Christopher Walken made a presentation at one of the broadcast seminars. Stephen Walken. Or Stephen Walken, sorry. <laughs> not the actor. Not the actor. Um, and it, but his presentation was that he showed us, all the broadcasters in the, not all were there, but there were a lot. And he showed, I think there were maybe 10 clips. And you, everybody was, is this a penalty or not a penalty? And it was crazy how... Even a couple that, to me, were like, well, that one's a no-brainer. It wasn't 100% in the room. Out of, let's say there were 25 of us, then it, we'd look and be, okay, well, this one was 19 to 6. This one was 14 to 11. Well, when you start to see that, you think, all right, well, what seems obvious to me isn't obvious to even 25 other guys who do the same job that I do. So that it was interesting because he said when they'd sit down and show them to general managers, they'd get about the same split. And he said, so now when we show it to the referees, you guys call me, meaning general managers, he said, you guys call me and you're, this is the worst call I've ever seen. Well, when we show it to eight GMs, only five of them thought it should have been a penalty. So it's, it, it's very rarely just, yep, 25 out of 25 thought it was a penalty and you let it go. So it, it, there's always a gray area. I think I'm about to get uh, reprimanded for using God's name in vain right. earlier yep. in the show right now. So I know Bill Guerin has said uh, that the team is going to tell him whether we're buyers or sellers, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Um, but how much of a factor is it in Bill Guerin's mind, the prowess that Judd Brackett has to find so many, so much talent? And because I, I would think Bill Guerin would be very tempted to think, OK, I might call this a little bit earlier just to give him as many bullets in the chamber, yeah. especially in a deep draft like this. So when he's trying to make that decision, how much, Bill Guerin, how much of a factor is that looking at the scouting potential that's there to, to call it a little bit earlier? Yeah, I, I think that's a factor. I mean, uh, you know, and, and I will say Judd Brackett would be the first to tell you that it's not him alone on an island. He's got a, you know, a, a really quality uh, scouting staff that he and, and the front office has built here. Um, so, um, but, but they've hit on a lot of, uh, a lot of players, and I think that that's part of, um, trying to not trade out of draft picks out of this year's draft and things like that. Um, you know, I come at from a different perspective. I probably come at it, believe it or not, even though I think I probably maybe come off on, on, on Twitter sometimes and in writing that I'm like the most patient person forever, but I'm with the fans here. I've been here 18 years. I want to see this team go for at one point. And, you know, the one thing that I've learned in the last couple of days is that I think that we all look at Patrick Kane as somebody that would, well, he, if Tarasenko and O'Reilly are going for these huge hauls, that he's got to be worth a first, a second, two prospects, this and that. I'm being told no. I'm being told like a so. second. Yep. And if that's the case, after watching him the last couple of days, if I'm Bill Guerin, I, I, I'm 
more than willing to give up a second-round pick in this year's draft. If that's the price, I agree. But as we talked last week, it's interesting, too, what the prices of these guys are. And for Kane, he probably is a better fit for Minnesota than for other teams because we can only take a rental or would prefer to take a rental as opposed to somebody with any term pass this year. But I always think you have a little bit of responsibility to your fans and to the guys inside the room. To be so when he says the team is going to tell me whether we're buyers or sellers, I don't think they're going to be sellers. They're not. They are certainly not going to walk in and say we're going to start trading away players for draft picks. There isn't going to be a trade made that that he doesn't think makes them better this year. It's just how aggressive. Because I think when you go in that room, you need to be able to look guys in the eye and say, I'm not willing to mortgage our future necessarily, but I'm certainly going to do what um, what I can to make us better. And when you've got guys, you just don't know how many years you're going to have where you've got the pieces in place that, and right now the West doesn't look like it has a great team. Got a lot of pretty good teams, but no, there's no Colorado from last year that was clearly better than everybody else in the West. So I think, you know, if they assume they take care of business tomorrow night, they maybe win a couple in Columbus and Toronto. I think you'll see Billy make a move, especially if the price is. Yeah. The rumored um, prices are yeah. right. And Kane is still like, um, and again, to be clear, it doesn't matter what Billy wants. If Kane's heart is not coming here, he's not going to wave. Uh, if he wants to go to Vegas, if he wants to go to Dallas, if he wants to go to Edmonton, if he thinks those teams have a better chance to win a cup, he, he'd probably go there for two months or longer um, rather than coming here where he might not look at this team as being a formidable um, cup. It would be up to Billy to convince him that, not unlike, you know, whether you agree with the move or not, that he did last year with Flurry. Flurry had to be convinced that this was the place for him and then had to be convinced to resign. Um, the thing with Kane to me that makes a lot of sense is just, you know, I was starting to get worried about the way he was playing. You start hearing the words about his hip, but then you watch him on the ice and how disinterested he was. I started worrying if this was the same guy. Then you watch his last two games and it was vintage Patrick Kane. Do you think maybe I, he all of a sudden started to hear the, you know, is Kane the same? Yes. And I, and I totally believe, believe he that. absolutely was like, all right, yeah. it's time to show that I can still 100%. turn it on when I have to. And and I just, I look at Kane as somebody that um, I think at the beginning of the year, when I started really pay attention to their cap situation and saw them keeping 20 guys all the time when it made sense to, why are you playing 11 and seven today? Why are you playing 11 and seven today? Why? Like, you've done it five, six times. It's only worked a little bit. Why do you keep on doing it? I, I, it was so clear to me that they were not wanting to waste cap space, that they were trying to accrue it and accrue and accrue. And, you know, I, I wrote this in a story that we have running on Wednesday in The Athletic that's going to explain the whole third-party conduit, which, by the way, I don't think we've talked about the Ryan O'Reilly deal yet. Um, but the, uh, and I explained you in there explained how... It the, twice last night when the red light was on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, careful, Father. Careful. That's two. Maybe get, as you walk by, could you just offer a blessing? Because I'm sitting pretty close to him, and uh, lightning bolts are possible at this time of year, aren't they? There's Let's a big hope. storm coming. Well, I do. I do have one follow-up question. It might be an off-the-air answer, uh, just for Anthony. Uh, what is Michael's favorite swear word? Ooh. Well, I would never use words like that. So. Oh yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do I? What do you have to beep out the most, Brandon? Eugene F bomb. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll th- tell you after I mean, we are, are you on this yeah. trip? 
So um, I'm in Columbus, not Toronto. All right, so if we have Toronto. dinner Wednesday night in Columbus, I'll keep a list of, and I'll I'll report back to you next week on yeah. it's the frequency the that each cuss was used. Yep. It's definitely F-word. But back to my point. So the Wild, I mean, when I sort of really recognized that they were trying to save space, you know, Kane was the one guy in my head, and I think that he really wanted to at least, you know, investigate taking that swing because, I mean, look, they've, it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that they've saved enough cap space to essentially acquire him. Um, you know, that seemed almost impossible when you go into a season, season with $12.7 million in dead money. Now, there was a lot of things that got them here, right? I mean, they, they, uh, they traded Cam Talbot for Philip Gustafson. That saved $2.9 million. They never thought they were going to get out of Kulikov, but they dumped him for nothing, $2.25 million. They had Tyson Jost off their roster for a week about so that was $2 million that they were essentially, say that's $10,000 a day, it's seven days, it's seventy grand that you're building in the cap um, before they replaced him with Ryan Reeves, who makes less money than Tyson Jones. Um, and then they've been unbelievably healthy. They had, until Beckman, they hadn't had a call-up that wasn't a non-emergency call-up, so not including the time when Zane McIntyre came up. They haven't had a call-up since December 27th when they brought up Andre Schuster for insurance. So they have accrued and accrued and accrued, and that's why they made the Ryan O'Reilly deal the other day. They're like, well, we, you know, we don't need to get $16 million worth of player at the deadline. Let's just take a free fourth-round pick for seventy-four grand and get Ryan O'Reilly out of the West when they thought that maybe Winnipeg, that maybe Edmonton, that maybe LA, that maybe Colorado or Dallas would have interest in Ryan O'Reilly. Remember, with Jonathan Taves... Even though it came out now that he's not getting traded, this has been sort of known and percolating for the last couple of weeks. So they started to worry, like, there's only so many centers on the market. There's some teams in the West that might want them. Let's just push them out of the division. That so was part of it. Let's just say, hypothetically, that the rumors are accurate that it would take a second-round pick to get Patrick Kane. Would you pull the trigger on that trade? Yeah, I would. What if it was a second-round pick and a prospect? No, probably not. Yeah, now, I mean, depending on the prospect, right? right? I wouldn't give a second a decent prospect. Like, yeah, if it was a second round pick and one other D that maybe wasn't like a, you know, um, I like Ryan O'Rourke. I, lo- I know they love Car- Carson Lambos. You know, it'd be tough. But uh, what's that? Damon Hunt. But if it was, if it cost you one of those guys in a two, would you make the trade? I would not trade my first round pick for him. No, without a doubt, a second and a a middle prospect. Or one of your many defensemen that wasn't the guys. I don't. I'm not privy to know where the Wild have theirs. They have like seven D prospects, right? And if you include Jack Parrott, Simon Johansson, um, you know Hunt, Spachik, all those guys. I don't know privy what they have ranked one to seven. But if all of a sudden, you know, they, Chicago's asking for the number three or four person for that, and you can get Patrick Kane in a conference right now that is wide open, right? You know, I don't know. I would consider it. I think I the other too. one, the, the other one that, that makes me think that this would make sense is if they're really, which I'm being told is true, that they like Tyler Bertuzzi, and Bertuzzi is suddenly maybe off the board because Detroit is effectively in a playoff spot, right? With their point percentage, yeah. Um, Five you know, he's going to cost spots, more than Kane. He's a first or a second and a prospect, or first and two seconds, probably a first or two seconds. I mean. You know, you know, Steve Eiserman is right now looking at a 27-year-old left wing like him as being like somebody that's going to, I'm not giving him away for a second only. So, I don't know. This is total conjecture, by the way. Tomorrow it's going to be all over the place that Russo says the Wild are going after Kane. But I just... I, I won't you know, tell anybody. Yeah, but, but let's put it this way. When I found out the other, in the last couple of days, what 
the speculated prices from talking to other people in the league. When I heard the price, I'm like, well, freak, man. I would do that in a second. Freak. Freak. That doesn't count. No. But that's good. Yep, I'm learning. He's got, a, he's got an impact on you. Yep, you I'm learning. Change of seasons means that it's time to change your apparel. I just got a text from Scott Dayton down at Twill at the Galleria in Edina with their new spring line of ties. I can't wait to go in there and check them out when I get back from this next road trip. But it's more than just a suit store. It's also golf season. I know there's a blizzard on the way, but I've got the golf itch. I can't wait to get out on the course. Maybe you've got a spring trip coming up. Check out their selection on men's sportswear as well. It's the Twill at the Galleria in Edina. You won't be disappointed. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. And if you want to get your dream home, sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed offer cash would be, there's no obligation. Just go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Again, that's chrislindahl.com or uh, call 673-401-SOLD. You can close with confidence and start packing, and terms and conditions apply. What's going on? You're back. Yeah, I got a comment and a question. Comment. We're undefeated since the Ryan O'Reilly trade. When do we hang his numbers in the rafters? He's already, they've already had 190, 190 in wild history, and I'd say O'Reilly's already the best 90 in wild history, and he's even played a game. And uh, how pro regular they the feel uh, Faber is, because uh, I have season tickets for Gophers, and I watch them every now. I'm like, I want them in St. Paul, like right now. And uh, who would you be your most favorable D partner for Faber if he does come? Well, if he comes, he's probably going to play with, uh, I would think, Brodeen or, or Merrill. Um, you know? Yeah, I guess Merrill, at, at least to start with, depending yeah. on what else happens. If the, assuming the roster is exactly as it is right now, you'd probably keep Dumbo with Brodeen, at least yeah. to start. Faber plays with Merrill, and then you see. But yeah, I mean, I, they're not—they're not just going to hand him a job either. He's going to have to prove that he's ready. He's going to have to, and then play well enough to stay in. But I think they're expecting that. I, maybe off yeah. the record, the, the, you know, the the biggest issue is, you know, and obviously they want them to go win the national title. But if they go to the Frozen Four and win it all, he wouldn't even be available to sign until April seventh. The season ends like the thirteenth. So you're not. You know, to throw a college kid right into the playoffs effect, essentially, I think would be tough. So my guess is they give him a dress rehearsal those last couple of games. Like they win that on that Sunday and it's Sunday in, in Tampa. He'll be signed Monday and he'll be probably in the lineup Tuesday. And then you give him two or three games maybe to just get his, you know, this is assuming the Wild are locked in the playoffs. If the Wild are like still like, you know, fighting with Calgary for the eighth spot, don't I don't add. I don't think you start experimenting with the lineup unless you look at it and you've either got injuries or you think Faber is 100% ready to play. So, question again. 
And I, I apologize if you've answered this on another show, but what's the mindset behind the 11 forward seven defenseman going? Because every time I see a team do it, I see a forward go down and then now they're down to 10 <laughs> yeah. and, and then they're like tired of the rest of the game and can't do anything. Well, the last time they did it, the Wild lost two forwards at one point, and they were without Greenway, so they were playing nine forwards at one point, right? Yeah, and with the, the Wild, part of it, I think, was that there were some spots where it was, hey, for one night, let's just do this and save some cap space. But I also think that Dean was looking at it as he views Kalen Addison as a power play specialist, and by playing 7D, now I can play my other guys in the regular roles, use him on the power play, and I just assume because we've got some off nights coming on the fourth line, I'm going to throw Matt Boldy, Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Zuccarello every once in a while because we've got a schedule that's forgiving enough coming up where those guys aren't going to get overtaxed. So I think that was why they did it when they did it. I still don't think it's the worst idea in the world if your schedule allows you, but it's... That was the issue with the Greenway, uh, you know, sleeping through the alarm thing that the second of back-to-back they played in buffalo the last game you know and there's a great example of where the wild normally you know and most teams would operate with an extra forward on their lineup but they were trying to save cap space there was no reason to think that they would not be healthy they had the injury report next thing you know right you know greener doesn't show up so you know that that was the first time that they did 11-7 where the schedule didn't dictate it yeah, and they've had they've been carrying an extra forward most of the time since then. Yeah. Where Mason Shaw has been with the team, even though he was a scratch for I don't remember what it was six games in a row or something like that. But but yeah, I think a lot of it was was the there was some cap concern for sure. But I think a lot of it was just hey, we got two days off. Let's let's just run Kirill out there as much as we can. If it's six extra shifts a night. We got a chance, Marty. So I have a nomination for the most preposterous statement ever made by a play-by-play man in a hockey <laughs> oh, game. Oh, now I'm all for it. All right. Oh, this is a college hockey game, so I'm, oh, okay. uh, you're off the hook, Anthony. But uh, let me preface it quickly by saying uh, I understand that if it's a 2-2 to game and you score the, the goal to go up 3-2 to in the third period, that goal is way more important than if you score an empty netter to make it five to two or whatever. I get that. But this was during the Big Ten uh, network broadcast. I believe it was Friday night. It was the uh, Ohio State-Michigan game. And I had it on in the background. And this one made me swivel my head around 360 degrees when I heard the play-by-play man do this. And I had my phone out because I want to get it verbatim and get your take on it. Which game was this? Uh, It was Michigan-Ohio State. I think Was it the outdoor game, I, I believe? I think it was the one they were playing out. Yeah. Was it Saturday? Okay. So here it is, verbatim. Sometimes it's not how many goals you score, but when you score them. And my take on that was, well, then why do we even keep track? (laughs) I kind of get where he was saying, but maybe he just worded it wrong because I just... If the point he was trying to make is that guys score important goals, I could see at least the, the attempt to say that were but i'd still take the guy who scored 40 over the guy who scored eight that happened to be when it was 2-2 it, it, we've talked about that a few times with some guys just have a knack for scoring when the game's on the line and, and real kaprizov is one of those yep. guys that uh, we had a stat a couple games ago where throughout his i don't remember if it was the last two years or all three years but he had more goals in the third period of games that were separated by one goal or tied than anybody in the league. And so there are some guys who just, when the game's on the line, they're the guy. Now, 
for sure, the guys that were on that list are also the guys who have the most goals in the league because, by definition, if you've only scored eight, you're not going to compete with Kirill's 40 in the third period. But, it, I, yeah, it's sometimes sometimes words just come out when you're doing the game, too. It just no happens. No kidding. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I might have I, a lot I, of stuff going on up there during the game, but every once in a while some things come out that, and believe me, I hear it when I get home. Yeah, um, but but I mean, I think sometimes people forget that this stuff is live. Sometimes you just say stuff, um, you know. Uh, well, especially in a case like that, where the most it was preposterous a... statement I ever heard was from your broadcast partner Ray Brian Carter, who said last year that if the Wild traded for Claude Giroux, that he would have to start as thirteenth forward and earn his way into the lineup. I almost freaking yeah. keeled over. Well, that, and he was not. That was not like an accidental, like you know, no. diarrhea of the mouth moment. That yeah, was like that's a, true. But the the worst one was from our sideline reporter, who still to this said that he and he argued with me at the dinner table the next night that he was right. That he said that he would rather be up by one than by two, and because a two goal lead is the hardest lead to protect in hockey. And I said, Kevin. By definition, every team that's up one could just stay up one by telling their guy, nobody shoot. We're up one. We Damn it, we do not want to be up two. And he, and he sat at the table and argued with me. You look it up. You look up how many times teams have blown two goal leads. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you more teams have blown one goal leads by definition. But he, so that statement still. He did. He did. Was, he was proven correct yesterday that the two goal lead is the hardest lead protect in hockey we watched the wild blow it so see? they won it the is, game yeah but it was the hardest lead to protect they won the game if they had they only were been fine up one, when they were up one but when they were they up two all up hell one. broke loose no if they had only been up one when national scored twice they would have been behind question i'll get you a whiteboard with it and we can show you how scores change by the way if you were paying attention during this first intermission yesterday on the first question you would have known that freaking board in front of me wasn't working. Nobody knew. So then with the second, all of a sudden, Anthony decides to pay attention to the interview. And he's like, this to the stage manager. I'm like, we're already two minutes into this interview. And I've been flying blind here for a minute and a half because you, who should have been dealing with this, wasn't. Question. That is true. Well, it might be true, but I, I had already heard most of your story by that time. I'd. I didn't need to listen to it. <laughs> that is true. Like, like I was, I had three different topics, but they're like, oh, it's a different audience. Just go with the same thing. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll say the same thing again. So, I, I wonder if you could just talk tactics for a little bit. Um, Dean, in several post game interviews lately, has talked about Minnesota Wild hockey, um, kind of like they're a shutdown team, but they're really not a shutdown team if you kind of look the way they're playing especially last year and maybe this year that secondary scoring is kind of hurting them that they're not really a shutdown team but what does he mean when he when he says that well he means they have to be a shutdown team and they are a shutdown team if you look at what they've allowed they're they're number one in the league in fewest chances allowed per night and which is crazy that they've been that and they were they were in the top six i think last year that way but the before last year they had been top two for two or three years in a row. And he, what he's trying to say is we are not the team that's going to make the highlight reel east-west plays coming in. Last year they could a little bit more. This year they can't. They've got to try to win games three to two. They've got to try to make sure that they limit chances and then keep it simple on offense. Go to the net. Be 
content to score ugly goals rather than highlight real goals. And that's what he's getting at. But if you look at this homestand, the chances they've given up, it's cra- they're five. The, the average NHL team gives up 12.9 high-danger chances a night. The Wild in this homestand have given up 7.4 per night. That's five fewer per night. That And teams usually shoot about 80, 78 to 80% on the high-danger chances. That's a goal a night, and maybe a goal and a quarter a night. That's a huge difference when you're playing a game up to three. Question. I like dogs, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do, hopefully. So this is a theoretical question for both of you. Um, if you played hockey, what position would you play, and what wild player would you emulate the most? I'd want to play enforcer and go up against him. Oh, boy, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, about the only thing I'd be qualified to be would be the fourth line left wing, played four minutes a night, maybe a shift here or there. Back, uh, back when I used to have those NHL games when I was like in my teens, I, you know, when you could like make yourself into a player, I made myself into like Connor McDavid times two. I was scoring like 80 goals a year. I'd love to, I'd love to play this sport. I mean, uh, you know, I, I do marvel a lot. You know, the, the funny thing is like when you cover it all the time, you, you really start to at times less appreciate how good these guys are and especially the athletes and what they're able to do on freaking ice skates and things like that. And then, you know, I really have had the pleasure this season to watch three games in Arizona and, you know, uh, bet- between us, I'm going there actually, you know, about a week to do another story. Um, you know, like in that building, it's so small and you're so close to the ice. Like you really appreciate how, and, and you probably all see it much better than we are who are in the worst seats in the house is that when you're so close to the ice and you see these guys and how little time and space they have and how wonderful of athletes they are, it really just makes you marvel. And that's why I always get a kick out of like somebody today said that a certain player on the team doesn't deserve to be in the NHL. And, you know, I, I let him have it also because he was racist. Um, but, uh, but, you know, like to me, like, like I, the worst player on the team that every fan always says, he sucks at hockey. He sucks at this. He sucks at this. The guy's still one of 700 of the best players in the world that somehow made it to the national hockey league. And that's why also like when that, you know, people a couple weeks ago were going after Ryan Reeves of all people for playing 800 games. The guy has played 800 national hockey league games when he was a football star and a track star and hockey wasn't even his best sport. And somehow this guy got to the national hockey league, made it and played 800 times. Look how many wild had a first round pick that played one game in the national hockey. Right. They've had a first round pick that played no games in that. Yeah. And, and so I, we talked on last week's show, I had a chance to sit down about halfway up the lower bowl for the game against Colorado the other night. And you do, you, we did the game in Arizona from basically Aldrich arena. We were about, eight rows up from the ice and it's crazy when you sit that close just what the skill set is that these guys have and you should be awed by it every single night and i was just thinking about it like if i could to go back to the original question the hypothetical what i would love to be would be the guy who plays the game like jonas brodeen or jared spurgeon who could skate like those guys but were kind of the unsung hero type guy that just think like those guys too. yeah and have it have things happen that fast but be a step ahead of everybody else on the ice and just be willing to be the guy like, I'm just going to shut you down tonight and you're going to leave so frustrated. I don't care if I score or not, but you're not going to score. 
Jonas Brodin makes me marvel every single game, like three or four times. It is crazy watching him um, ch- check a guy back. Ch- it's it's just, but him lately separate guys on the back check. Like they don't even like opposing great players. Don't even know what to do when he's around them. He's just a special guy. All right, we're going to wrap up the show soon. A couple more questions. Hey, this will this will be really quick. And by the way, Eck and Brodeen are my favorites. Um, <clears throat> at one point in the season, I don't know if it's still the case, we were second in the league in the most number of penalties and second in the league in the most number of too many men penalties. So I don't know where we rank in the too many men right now, but we're still in the top two in penalty minutes per night. Yeah. Well, but, it, but I will say, if you look at minors and sh- time shorthanded, it's not in the top two. A lot of that is because of their fighting majors, some misconduct, things like that. Like, it, like it, I was actually shocked the last time I looked. They're minors. They're, they're I think, yeah, top Time two. short, we're fi- I think they're 14th in the league. In yeah, like, like actual minors and time short, it's like 11 to 14. So I really feel like they haven't been as undisciplined as we all kind of think they have. Uh, and they have seemed to have cut down the too many men. Uh, the last one I remember was in Washington, and I actually didn't like that call, if I remember correctly. Was it Washington or Carolina? They, Washington, there was a bad call on a too many. Yeah, minutes, that's the one I'm talking about. Where they had a guy go on yeah. one side of the bench and a defenseman come off the other yeah. side. But I was watching a game on TV the other day, a couple days ago. I cannot remember who it was, but it was like the most egregious too many men ever. There were like seven guys on the ice. And just no call. And I'm just like, if that's, that's the type of thing that would, if Dean was watching, that's the type of thing that makes you just that, you know what, crazy. Damn learning. Yep. So we've talked about it a little bit, but how fickle is the situation the Wild are in when, let's be honest, if they would have lost the last two games, we would be talking all night tonight about them not scoring and what <laughs> they're going to sell and what the future looks like. Yeah. One shootout win and a one-goal win yeah. in the last three days, and we're now talking about adding Patrick Kane, and I'm with you. I think that's, <laughs> that's, but you get my point. We're four yeah, yeah. points out of second, yeah. two points out of ten. But that's, but that's, that's the, the challenge for fans that's different than a GM. The GM has to be able to stand back and say that I have to be able to evaluate the team. I can't get caught up in that, yes, we won this game, but are we playing well enough where one guy makes that big of a difference? And then, but at the same time, that is the league. And those two wins right now, the, the, the win against Nashville yesterday might've been the fatal blow to their playoff hopes. Yeah. And it, it worse, whatever we are seven weeks before the end of the season still, but it's so hard to make up ground in this league that you lose two or three games in a row. And all of a sudden it's you're, you're done. And uh, I can't believe I'm going to be the one to say this because everybody knows that I'm not exactly a glass half full guy. But what you said could be, you could say the same thing about earlier in the homestand, right? You could say that those one goal losses or shootout losses uh, could have gone the other way as well. That's just the league. I mean, my biggest thing is, and this is where if I was in Bill Guerin's front office, I'd probably be the one campaigning to go and make at least one move for a scorer. Um, I'm not talking JVR. I'm talking like if you can get a Bertuzzi or a... To me, then it's, you know, to just go add a plotting left wing that, you know, maybe help a little, like it's not worth it. But, but I look at this conference right now as being, with the exception of Colorado, who's, if they're healthy, they're going to be good. Like everybody's beatable, right? I mean, Vegas is definitely beatable. Um, They are without a goalie right now and things like that. Um, LA has deficiencies. 
Um, Edmonton Seattle, is Edmonton, Dallas. Yeah, all... I mean, you know, Dallas is a hundred percent beatable. Winnipeg's beatable. They just lost last night. Um, you know, the teams are chasing right now. Seattle and Calgary lost to Philly and San Jose today. Um, so no, the Wild. If you look, I, Seattle's a tough one because the Wild haven't played well against them. So for, it's hard for me to say this. When I look at Calgary, the Wild are a better team than Calgary. And I would, I would say they're right a better now. team than Seattle, even though they maybe haven't proven it this year. So um, I don't know. I just think that because of the 14-7 and the 14-7 coming the next two years, to me, if you want to keep the fan base engaged, you can't just punt it every year and say, in three years, we're going to go for it. You know, fans aren't going to stick around that long. Um, so right now they're in a position in a conference where I don't think it's a clear who the total favorite is. I mean, the East right now is just, it's insane what's going on there. Like the top seven points percentages in the league are in the East. Um, so I don't know. I, I would just, I'd say it's worth it. As long as it's not a first round pick or like Rossi or somebody like that going the other way. Well, thanks everybody for coming out. Uh, February 27th at Split Rocks is our next live show. Um, hope everybody enjoyed the show. Thanks to our incredible sponsors uh, from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatment. Thanks as always to all the Tuttle's restaurants and Grain Belt. Bosch Law Firm Twill by Scott Dayton. That's in the Adina Galleria. Uh, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Moe's Tavern in Blaine, and Royal Credit Union. Thanks for everybody for coming. Talk to you February 27th from Split Rock. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. My, my heart rate right now is about 250. And it's, it's not just because I'm pissed about the wave.